0: Good evening so very glad to have everybody this evening and uh, man we were driving in is it not is it not just a beautiful day outside? Absolutely gorgeous. And um, I'll tell you this morning, uh, what else was beautiful was just the Word and just that refreshing life uh, that Jim's been bringing us, and it was awesome, and uh, I just, I appreciate it, and I told him told him that earlier, it meant something. I got a lot of stuff out of the 10 o'clock, the 11 o'clock, our time just driving back and forth between the hotel and everything, so I appreciate you being here, and uh, we have uh, some people know the story of how we met, but I can just tell you that I had a pastor uh, that used to be my pastor that called me up and said, "Hey, I heard this guy named Jim Hockaday, and you need to hear him." And that was probably about mm, four or five years ago. It wasn't long after we had started the church, and I, you know, downloaded these MP3s and heard Jim Hockaday, and I went, and I started listening to it, and uh, I went. Man, this guy is bold. And, uh, I said, and he's getting results, and I like results, I like uh, producing something in the kingdom of God, and I just really ate it up and listened to it over and over and over again, and it blessed me, and it changed me, it changed my life just from that boldness that he was preaching on, and um, I, it, just, it was my language, you know, it was Brian's language for sure, and so what happened was uh, a few years later, I run into somebody, and they say, hey, brother, Jim's going to be preaching over uh, around Raleigh and and instantly I really felt like the Holy Spirit said you need to go see uh, him and so the Lord had really been dealing with my heart in some areas and I went to that church over there and all of a sudden uh, within 10 minutes of the service starting and and you started preaching and I don't know you probably weren't watching me but I was uh, I mean I was I mean, he might be. He might have been. I don't. He's you know, like, who is this weird dude? And, and here's the point. I was crying because I just had tears streaming down my face because what God had been talking to me in my heart, very personal uh, and great stuff, talking about connecting with him and being in friendship with him, by 10 minutes into it, he was saying some of the exact words that the Holy Spirit was saying to me. And I knew that God had sent me there. I knew I was in the right place at the right time. We met. We had dinner several nights there and uh, got to know each other. He said, "Hey, I'll come to Albemarle." So he came last year, and those were some of the greatest meetings that we've ever had. And just really was a blessing, mighty move of God. And and I told him one of the biggest things is as a pastor, you know, I I don't just want to have a meeting where God moves only. I don't want I want God to be moved. In each and every life, all the time, which means that we have a change in our mindset. And we renew our mind to a spiritual walk and not just a fleshly walk. And what I saw after you came last year was I saw a mighty change in the hearts and the minds of people that were here in those meetings. And it was something that was huge to me because it's things I've been you know working to try and do and get across to people. And yet I saw them just start to work and happen as a result of those meetings and what Brother Jim was bringing uh, to us in that word. So. As a pastor, man, I appreciated it. And I've just been worshiping God over those meetings ever since then. And so I've had great expectation for this week. And we just want to get you up and have at it, please. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so Am
1: I on? I think so. All right. Well, um, I'll go ahead and just give a little testimony, too, while Pastor's sharing that. Um, things have really changed in my ministry uh, in the last, let's say, four years, all for the better and for good. Uh, We, you know, during the times where he is listening to some of the things he is listening to, and I'm still preaching some of those same things too because they're just true and and they're good and help people to receive. But the emphasis has always been on helping someone to get a healing. Well, um, my heart began to cry out for the individual walk of every one of us. In other words, um, <clears throat> as a minister, it's possible to help somebody else get their healing and you not get yours. Now, if, if you're real privy to kind of go behind the scenes to a lot of the major ministries around the world, that's pretty much what goes on all the time. Minister take, take two-week vacation so they can go heal up from their surgeries. They, you know, they talk about doing all you can do in the natural and then believing God, which will seem to indicate, you know, go and and get every every, uh, opinion you can get from natural sources, uh, take everything that you can take and then believe God. Well, that's, I'd almost want to use some words, but I won't use words. Uh, I'll use my words carefully, but that's backwards. Because if you're believing God, then what would be left for man to do? I'll say that again, if you're believing God, what would be left for man to do? Now, in case someone thinks, well, you're against medicine. No, 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 no. Thank thank God that he made man in such a way where man uh, depleted in an area where he doesn't have uh, health in his body has sought out himself to find ways of creating uh, cures, inventions to help men, to help people. You know, God didn't come up with it. That was man. Medicine is man's invention. It's not God's. God wouldn't invent something to take you away from the, the blood that was shed for his son. You have to think about this in an absolute sense. Oh, no, I believe that, that medicine is, is God's, God's invention. No, no, it wouldn't be God's invention. Remember now, he sent his son. And he didn't send him to play patty cake or to have a picnic. He sent his son, and he literally was mutilated. And if that wasn't enough that his flesh was mutilated, all the sin of humanity was poured into him so that he became the substitute for every human being, past, present, and future. Which means, before he could get out of the grave, he had to accomplish a justification. That's a big word for he declared every single person, past, present, and future, righteous. In other words, he atoned for all of their sin. Amen. Now, God wouldn't do that and then go and create another system that would get into the hearts and minds of carnal people that would take everybody over here while Jesus is over here saying, don't you you want the blood that I shed and the health and wholeness? No, it's man's creation. He made man like himself. God made man in his image and his likeness. Man has creativity. And when he decides to create things, he does. It's not always good. I mean, even look at the Tower of Babel. Yep. God confused their language. Maybe it's because they could have succeeded. Who knows? They were as one. There was unity. Yeah. So you've got to look at Scripture in a big picture, and see that what he did through Christ, he did for all of us. But man has gone on and has created all kinds of alternatives, and he does that all the time. Well, in one sense, you could say, thank God that God has made man in a way where he's resourceful enough. When he can't get what he needs, he can create it. He can come up with it. He has a sharp mind. Because, thank God, medical science is there to help so many people. Honestly, I'm thankful for that. But if we stay there and never climb the heights of what is pure and what is best, how are we ever going to bring the body of Christ into the wonderful experiences of Jesus Christ as the great physician? You can't. You've got to preach the highest and best. You can't just preach where people are at or then that's where they'll stay. Does that make sense? I mean, if you're an English teacher and every single year you go over addition. And you wonder why your kids never know multiplication. They never move on to any uh, algebra or geometry or trigonometry or calculus. They never seem to move up. Well, you're teaching them addition. Well, that's where they are, though. I know, but you've got to teach them where you want them to be. So teach them multiplication. Then go on and teach them fractions and teach them about decimals and move them over into uh, all kinds of pre-algebra and algebra and so on and so forth, you see. No, we've got to preach what is the highest and best to bring people up to a place where they can have something that they don't have presently. Well, so my point is to say, in the body of Christ, you'll find that with most ministers, they're not necessarily experiencing the things that they're preaching. It's one thing to lay hands on somebody else, but it's another thing to get yourself healed. Even the scriptures say, physician, heal thyself. Well, that became the cry of my heart, is to have more accuracy with my own prayers. And as a result of that, that's the reason why we teach the way we're teaching right now and minister the way we're ministering, to help each individual to begin to take some accountability and responsibility for their own experience with God, for their own relationship. Why? Because I've found out over the last four years that that's exactly what I'm having to do to make the change, the alteration. Some changes in my life are very big. Some changes are extremely small. But the point is, I can't rely on somebody else. I have to rely on God. Amen? So that's where we're coming from tonight. I know some of you, you know, remember... Um, Last year when I shared some things about my friend, I still do a radio show on Tuesday night. We've got a Wednesday night Bible study that we do that is live streamed so people on Wednesday night can get on that. That would be 7 o'clock our time, 8 o'clock your time, 8 to 9 your time. The radio show would be from 9 to about uh, 1040 or so your time if you want to listen to it live. If not, there's 190 archives that are free, downloadable for folks. Um, and those, the radio show is with my friend BJ, a uh, very interesting character, okay? I mean, he's, he's, he's very raw, just a, a rancher, and uh, I'm thankful that I didn't, when he first came to my meetings, what I preached didn't hinder him. If there's anything that I can at least be thankful for, I didn't mess him up. <laughs> and that's like really good, because you can very easily mess somebody up by giving them the wrong tainted view of what's necessary to get them to God. And when I mean get them to God, certainly we can accept Christ as Savior, but then for God to become real in your life. Let me share something. A real salvation is where God becomes real in your life. The modern day salvations are just a, a very fraction of what they used to be. Excuse me for saying it, but this is more accurate than you know. We've taken God out of salvation and we've removed the Holy Spirit from the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And what you got left is uh, a group of people that meet together as a club, and when they pray in other tongues, it's no better than uno, dos, tres, cuatro. And people will say, my God, that's the Holy Ghost. Take up. No, that's Spanish for one, two, three, four. <laughs> Because people don't discern the Holy Ghost anymore. Because there isn't much Holy Ghost there. Um, If we don't bring people in the right door, they go in the wrong door, obviously. And they have a wrong view of Christianity. And those people can become the hardest folks to get in and make the turn and change unless they come to a place in their life where they're lacking and what they do doesn't work, and they cry out to God and say, you've got to help me, then the heart's open. But unless things get bad in your life, if your brand of Christianity doesn't produce any results, you'll just overlook what doesn't work, sweep it under the carpet, stick your skeletons in the, in the closet, and close the door, because life isn't so bad. We said this the last time. Uh, Life consists of the good, bad, and ugly. People will work two or three jobs to get rid of the ugly, but they actually don't mind bad as long as every once in a while they can be encouraged by a little bit of... Doesn't that describe most people? Yeah, life kind of stinks, but you know what? This weekend is going to be great. Some family are coming in, and we're going to have such as... And so you look forward to the weekend, even though the whole week is kind of just ho-hum... And not really great. And that's what we call life. And then what we do for spiritual thing is, is we come to a service on a weekend. And that becomes our spirituality. Coming to a service is not your spirituality. Right. This is the place you're supposed to be coming where you share all the wonderful things that you have as experiences throughout the week. Yeah. But what we've done is, is we've used this place as the refueling station where we're empty all week long, and we come and we wait on the pastor to give us something from heaven. Well, I'm glad you all came tonight. (laughs) You look so nice and comfortable. I hate to ruffle your feathers and make you feel like you want to leave. That's really sad. (laughs) Praise the Lord. You say, well, I don't know if I like this. Well, it's not going to get any better from here, so... (laughs) You better just kind of buckle down, amen, and enjoy the ride. It might be rough tonight. That's what they say on the flights. You know, they say "Got some? we've got a little turbulence coming up here. Everybody put your seatbelt on. Uh, stewardesses, go ahead and have a seat. We're not going to be serving you any drinks tonight. This is just going to get a little rough. Well, there you go. No drinks tonight. Stewardesses, take your seat. Put your seatbelt on. Praise the Lord. Well, my friend, you know, BJ, he came to Jesus and he just, you know, had some things that were different about him of which I've somewhat, if you can say it this way, I've kind of drilled him about his differences because you want to ask questions and find out why can one person have something so tangible with God and someone else want it and not have it the same way. Well, there's reasons. I've seen this for years. I remember when, when I went from traveling with Brother Hagen, I uh, traveled with him for seven years in the scene group, and then they asked me to do it at, the, at, at Ramah. they asked me to do the prayer and healing center, which I did for 10 years. We had just, just thousands of people getting healed. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, it didn't start like that. For the first three months, we buried everybody. <laughs> It'd been better to call it a hospice home than a healing school. Of course, you can't advertise that. No one would come, you know. I mean, back in those days, the only thing I knew was to just say next. Kind of sad. But every once in a while, someone get healed. Holy smokes! They got healed. And the saddest part was, I didn't know how, they didn't know how. Well, if no one knows how, you can't reproduce that. It was just kind of lucky. But I'd always ask questions. Now, I put two and two together better than I did back then. And the questions that I asked... And what I found out was the individuals that were getting healed, and just a few of them, were individuals that already had a particular way of life that was very conducive to the way God does life. In other words, the way that they did life, the accuracy of their words, the way that they understood conviction, commitment, dedication, swearing to your own hurt, changing not, not being a flesh person where the flesh rules you, but being a person of principle. See, these sound kind of like old-time values, don't they? Well, why do you think if you're the enemy... And it's those type of values that actually work with God, synonymously with him. Why do you think the enemy would try to get into the hearts of, of men and turn the value system against the way God does what he does? Because at that point, then, you can say all the right things. You can have the right open sesame, you know what I mean, saying just to make it work, but it doesn't work because you're going this way, God's going this way. And the hardest part about our day is, is the whole society has bought into this entitlement business. Everybody has. Where we're more interested in what someone else can do for me instead of the responsibility to be accountable for your own choices. That's, that's the modern day cuss word right there. Responsibility and accountability. You might as well just make that into a four letter <laughs> word and just, just put a, an R rating on it. Because that's something people don't want anymore. I don't want to be accountable to anything. I mean, even all our politicians, and this isn't one-sided. This is on both sides, or three sides, or how many sides there are. All of them. Look at No one wants to admit their failure. Yeah. They want to just spin it and put it off on somebody else. Yeah. Well, what does that do if our leaders are like that? Not owning up to their own choices. And being responsible enough to say, I made a bad choice. We all forgive me. We're going to correct this. My goodness, you'd have people following you like a pied piper if somebody would just be honest. But what do they do? They spin the whole thing and stick it over. And, well, what they're doing is creating a lifestyle where everybody spins everything. Yeah. Well, it's not my fault. It's well, you know, I just didn't know. You know, my daughter. I asked her because I, 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 you know, she's a, a volleyball player, and um, and there's some exercises that. I have her do even in the pool. This isn't me, you know, with a whip over. I mean, this is things she wants to do. So I texted her a few moments ago, said, did, did you swim today? And she said, well, no, because yesterday I got sunburned, and I didn't want to put the, sun, the sunscreen on. It, it It burns. It stings. So maybe I'll do it tomorrow. And I wrote back, why don't you do it when the sun goes down in a few minutes? You won't have to put any sunscreen on. <laughs> Which is what? I'm going to spin this, Dad, because I just didn't think of it, and I should have. Well, I'm going to hold her to accountability. You just didn't want to, so get your rear end out there and go right now. Why? Those are principles that will work with the anointing they work with God. You end up getting the healing when other people don't. And people wonder, how come you got the healing? Because there's something about the way you do life that works with faith. We made this comment last time. I'll make it again. If there's one you want to write down, and yet it's a harsh one. It's not harsh in the language. It's bad. It's just harsh that it's so absolute. How you do life is how you'll do faith. And if your faith isn't working... It goes back to how you do life. That's extremely absolute. There's no wiggle room. I've got to tell you. Be honest with you. Now, I may not have anybody here tomorrow night. And and, and if I turn this way, those of you over here may leave before I turn back and find out no one's here. But it is my job. And if I do my job correctly, my job is to take away all of your options. It's not to make you feel good. While you st- still don't go anywhere. My job is to take away your options. Leave you with one choice. Your choice is, will you step beyond yourself and let God be God? Or will you stay as you are and keep Him at bay by rejecting Him? Aren't you going to preach a healing service and whoop it up and get us stirred up in the Holy Ghost and woo glory, lay hands on the sick. (laughs) I find the more that I can open up your hearts and get you to question even if you don't like me. Liking me is not the prerequisite for you getting a healing. Me provoking Some type of openness for you to question yourself is the prerequisite for you getting a healing. Because you can't get healed when your heart's closed. Fellas, haven't we figured this out at least after a few years of marriage? Just like a rose always smells better when it's what? (laughs) Open. We've found out that our wife seems to be able to operate better when she's open than when she's closed. Oh, sit there and act like you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> right. Huh? Unbelievable. That was a great place for you wives to say amen and for your husbands to sheepishly at least agree with a nod. I mean, come on. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm saying there's things that you can say, there's things that you can do that just clam her up, close her up. You ain't going to get anywhere. Life's difficult. You, you don't understand the phrase when no one's happy unless mama's happy? Huh? Well, how do you keep her happy? There's things that we can do. We can be smart enough to say some things, some things that we can think of doing that would just bless her and help her to just be, be appreciative of her. We talked about some of that in the, in the early, early service. And what does it do? It just keeps her heart open where she can function really well and she doesn't have to get caught up in emotions. Really good preaching, Brother Jim. That was really good. Amen. Praise the Lord. Brother Hagen said, "You can always quiet down a rowdy crowd by talking about sex, money, or marriage." <laughs> and you know what? It just seems to work. Just say the marriage, M, the M word here tonight, and everything's just. A... Well, I'm not going to let you stay there. Praise the Lord. No, you got to open people's hearts. Keep people's hearts open. That's why whether someone likes you or not, if you can provoke them to a thought, if you can get them to defend whether they do have a relationship or don't have a relationship, whether they do say yes to Jesus or whether they say no to Jesus, even if it makes them feel a little melancholy, come on, what did the Scripture say? In the last day, Paul said what? He said, awake and be sober-minded. Which says what? People are going to be asleep. Are people asleep today? Oh my goodness, are you kidding me? I mean, if you polled the Americans, 300 million of them, only one-third of this country even knows who the vice president is. And I didn't say anything else. <laughs> I could hear some of you thinking. I'm not going to touch that. Only 50% of the people in this country even voted. Well, what does that say? If they're that detached about the world, how are they going to be connected to the God they can't see? Come on, nowadays, one of the biggest questions to ask folks that gets them really silent is, do you even know your neighbors? Because when I grew up, we knew the whole neighborhood. Had neighborhood parties. We didn't think twice. You call people up and say, can you watch something? Can you come over and help me with something? It was just, of course, we relied on one another. Today, we rely on ourselves, and we get our information, and we just Google it. Everything's Google. I mean, especially, you know, you get around techie people, and even your kids now grow up in the techie age, and you say something, you're watching a TV program, and you say something like, And I wonder how old she is. And all of a sudden, your kid says she's 38. She'll be uh, 39 in November. How would you know that? I Googled it. I mean, really, it's true. And, I mean, about a year ago, I didn't even think about Googling it. Now, they've kind of conditioned me. Oh, I'll just Google it. And you Google it. I mean, you can even Google a Bible question and get an answer. It's amazing. God will talk to you through Google. Why would you need the voice of the Holy Ghost? And that's the point. And so, see, uh, those few years ago, I just asked the Lord to help me. And, um, and he helped me by me watching him help an individual who was very raw. And then that helped me. Because I saw things that I, that I wouldn't see out of church people. And so this fellow, just, he's a rancher. And, you know, um, he's super smart. I mean, really super smart. Uh, four earned PhDs reads 5,000 words per minute 97% retention really smart like blow you away how smart and he doesn't forget anything 97% you know we laughed at him because he was telling us something you know he doesn't he doesn't have a lot of friends <laughs> all, all the tests he ever took always said doesn't work well with people well the reason why it doesn't work well with people is because he tells them the truth If you know the truth and what someone really needs to hear and you're just, you're going to, it's against your conscience to know a truth but to say a falsehood. That's against your conscience because that's how you see things. You see things very black and white, very straightforward. And you're very sharp about what you see. While people are dickering about whether or not it's this tree or that tree, someone like BJ sees the whole forest and he says, you're both wrong. Well, that doesn't go over well with people. People want you to side in with them. It's just like the Bible. It's just like church. It's just like religious people. We put an interpretation on the Word of God that suits us so we don't have to change. Right? Because, again, we don't want the accountability or responsibility. We don't want to change. We just want life to be a little bit better. Leave me alone. See, that's really the mentality of folks. Well, that's not him. So he got a hold of what I was preaching and... um, figured it out in a way i've never thought of and i'm one that steps out of the box a whole lot more than the contemporaries that i'm around i've always been known for having original thoughts and that's because while your shirt is yellow to this gentleman here it might be green to me and you can say all day long but it's yellow well i see green i'm not trying to be indignant that's just the way i see it Well, that's how things have been for me, and that's why I've been able to get some of the things that I was able to get. Well, B.J. went about a million miles beyond me in his ability to see a thousand colors instead of just one. So after three weeks and already raising up a dead cat and getting a horse healed without even using the name of Jesus, he didn't know it was supposed to, hadn't read that far. (laughs) He hadn't been trained to say, in the name of Jesus, I command you to... I hadn't re- he hadn't heard anybody do that. So he just put his arms around a horse that was blind and said, um, you're going to be just fine. God says you're going to be fine. And even his friends that were there and the veterinarian that was there laughed, laughed at him and cussed at him a little bit because that's how they talk, you know, on a ranch. And B.J. cussed him back out. Laughter he cusses better than anybody I've ever heard. <laughs> he actually makes cussing very funny. I mean, I end up laughing at things I shouldn't be laughing at, but I can't help it. I end up laughing. And now all that does is encourage him to say more. So I just gave up. I just laugh. I don't care. do doesn't make me cuss. I don't encourage it. But it's not necessarily the biggest thing on order. It's just words. Well, we won't go there because it's not really necessary. But my point is, the horse is healed. Blind eye was completely healed. The bone spurs were gone. Arthritis was gone. And there was a brand new enamel where there was cavities on the teeth. That got out in the horse world. And he had to take it down to Oklahoma State University to have it studied by the medical staff. And after a full day of studying this horse, they came out and said, there's no explanation for what's happened to this horse. It's beyond our, our knowledge. A little Baptist lady that was about this high, the head of the medical profession, got in BJ's face, put her finger in his face like this because he's about 6'2", you know, a big cowboy, and said, how dare you think you can play God? He said, well, it's a little too late, isn't it, isn't it Doc? horse sort already healed. <laughs> See, he's just smart, and he's a smart aleck because he's so smart, you know. <laughs> it was. I mean, it's too late to, to be throwing around terminology. What are you going to do with the horse that's healed? So after raising up that horse and raising up a dead cat. I mean raising up the dead cat where he didn't even pray for the cat. Told the lady, he said, I'm not praying for your cat. It's the ugliest cat I've ever seen. (laughs) He said, but I'll pray for you. This is three weeks after being saved. And his prayer was as simple as, and I don't know that there's a better prayer. God, please, open her eyes just enough so she can believe just a little. Open her eyes just enough so she can believe just a little. And then he said this, and then you can be God. In other words, he figured it out that if man wasn't in the way, that God would do all kinds of things. Which comes back down to what? The number one thing that you want to do in your life is get yourself out of the way. God's trying to to do this. If you just get out of the way, and what is getting out of the way? It's the simple childlike trust. It says, Daddy, can I jump again? Well, sure, honey, jump. I'll catch you. Okay, this is fun. That's getting out of the way. We're not holding on to anything. You know, I'm not, I'm not one that likes roller coasters, you know. I never grew up that way, and you know, I always got dizzy on them, you know, and, and uh, just, just avoided the roller coasters. But um, <clears throat> when I married my wife, I never told her that because I didn't necessarily think I had to. But one of the first things we did in the first month of our marriage was we went down to San Antonio down to Six Flags. And and she was just as happy as a little church mouse, you know, because she's going on all these roller coaster rides and she loves them. And so we went on the first one and I braved it, you know, and it was one of those ones where you go flying down, you do a loop the loop and a curly cue, then you do curly cue backwards and a loop-the-loop backwards, come back up. And you think it's just a few seconds of a ride, you'd be just dandy. But when I got off the ride, I was just kind of white and peaked looking. And she looked at me and she said, Oh, that was amazing. She looked, she says, Are you okay? And just when she said, I went to say I'm okay and I went And I didn't throw up, but I convulsed like I was. She goes, did you almost throw up? I went, she said, you almost threw up. And I said, oh, she said, oh, my goodness. Are you kidding me? You didn't tell me before we were married that you don't do rides? She was just messing with me. So we gave her three girls. She's got three daughters. And the four of them have an absolute blast at Disney, Six Flags, wherever we go. So where does that leave me? I'm the sorry-looking guy that has four purses sitting on the bench with, with, my head, with my headphones in, trying to be as happy as a lark, just enjoying myself while they're all having fun. <coughs> so the youngest one has, is pretty persuasive, and she got me to go on a ride, which it's not like I've never been on them, but I just don't like it because if it happens to be too rough or whatever then i end up you know having to deal with feeling a little funky you know for the rest of the day so anyhow i'm on this ride and you're getting you're in your chair and you're going chink 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 up to the top where all of a sudden when you go down it's not like you go down like this you go down like this you know what i'm you know what i'm saying so i'm on this ride and i'm already white knuckled holding on and she's happy that daddy's with her and she looks at me she says you're gonna have to take your hands off i said what She said, you can't hold on. I said, well, why wouldn't I want to hold on? She said, Daddy, the rides are so much better when you put your hands in the air. I said, what? I said, I'm going to hold on. She says, no, Daddy. And she's grabbing my hand. She says, you have to let go. That's when the ride is the best. And she was just this cute little face with ringlets all over, you know, and I just, like, I couldn't say no, so, ah! And it wasn't better. (laughs) There wasn't anything better about it. But that gives you an illustration of what it's like to come to Jesus. How do you get out of the way? Let go. If there's one thing that holy hands do, you need to realize when you lift up holy hands, it should be saying, Look, Daddy, I'm not holding on. That's real Christianity to not hold on, to let go of everything so that it's just you and your dad and you and your relationship and you either go under or you go over. But if you go under, he goes with you. Now you have that kind of determination and you won't have to go under. Have we given you a scripture yet tonight? Oh my goodness, I can't believe you're still here. Look over at Second Corinthians chapter 13. So this is why some of the things that I'm saying has this particular slant to it is because I watched, and am very thankful, I watched God do some amazing things with my friend who didn't have any religion. Who just figured it out as a person, I won't say logically, but logically, and then with God's help figure out how to have a better relationship with God than most of us Bible-thumping Christians who've been in the way for... It's a play on words. They used to call Christians the way. But we've been in the way for most of our lives. You heard me say this last time, but it bears repetition. He, I mean, matter of fact, just looked at me one day and said, well, I figured it out. I said, what'd you figure out? He said, I figured out how to have a relationship with God. I said, well, lay it on me. I'm so used to people just sitting there going, duh, instead of figuring things out. You need to figure things out. And what we're going to look at right here, this first verse, and then I'll get into some other wonderful thoughts here tonight. It's a verse that you need to be well acquainted with. But anyhow, I said, what'd you figure out? He said, well, I figured out not until the sky's no longer blue, water's no longer wet, and the ground's no longer hard will you ever have a real relationship with God. And of course, I didn't try to act stupid or anything, but I did ask him to say that again. Repeat that again. <laughs> he said, Not until the sky's no longer blue, the ground's no longer hard, and water's no longer wet, will you ever have a real relationship with God. And I looked at him and I said, Are you talking about alternate realities? He said, But that's what you're talking about, Jim. And I realized, Here, I'm preaching about the anointing and releasing the power of God and knowing out of your heart, your spirit. You can't touch your heart and spirit. But that's what's in you. That's what you are. And then you release this power you can't touch. Sometimes you can feel it. The glow, the heat, the anointing come out of you, released out of you. But you're releasing something from another world, another reality. And you're banking on that that reality has precedence over what? This reality. It's kind of like playing a game where there's Trump. Trump always takes any other suit. Well, the anointing, the blood of Jesus, always trumps anything of this world and the flesh. So all of a sudden, I realized what he was saying. I said, well, we'll talk to me a little bit further. He said, until you can turn your back on the world that you do know, how would you ever be able to have another reality of the world that you don't know? And all of a sudden, I started seeing in his mind this processing of him, step by step, starting to figure out this other world and getting to know it step by step. And the Holy Ghost started working with him. I mean, he's at a stoplight at a pretty busy intersection and his dog's with him cuz that's his best friend and he's at the stoplight and he hears a voice he said I'm either hearing something and I'm getting weird or it's God and he heard a voice say go through the stoplight onto the to the intersection in other words blow the red light and he looked at his dog and said well we're either gonna this is either gonna work or it's not gonna work And he said he didn't even look, he just floored it. And went right through the intersection, up onto the highway, and right when he got onto the highway, there's a motorcycle guy that went down on the highway, skidded right in front of him over into the ditch, and B.J. followed him, pulled right over. The guy's pant leg is full of blood. The pant pant was still intact, but full of blood. And B.J. came up to him. By the time he got to him, the man's up on his knees, and he's praying, asking God to forgive him. B.J. says, what in the world are you doing? He says, well, I'm just asking God to forgive me for everything. Maybe this is the reason why this happened. B.J. said a few choice words to him and, uh, and actually, actually made him feel uh, somewhat threatened in his Christianity that he would be sitting there trying to pray and ask forgiveness over this and trying to equate this to God. And the guy said, well, what are you thinking that's going to happen? And he said, well, why do you think anything has to happen? And right then some paramedics came up and the guy said, well, aren't you going to pray for me? He said, no, why would I? He said, I think my work's done here. God likes ice cream. I'm going to get some ice cream. And he turned around and walked away. And the guy said, will I ever see you again? He said, I sure hope not. As the paramedic was cutting his pant leg up to see fresh baby skin on his leg, not one scratch. And the paramedic looked at the the pants full, Of red blood and said this must be motor oil. And B.J. just chuckled to himself as he walked away. Because he's learned what? The interaction and getting an individual to do what? To defend their Christianity is the same thing as saying God I'm wide open for you to touch me. He's starting to figure it out. Starting to figure it out. And within just a few more weeks then he figured out why couldn't he have God be just as real to his spirit as we are real to each other's flesh and then in his own words he just went home and saw God Jesus and the Holy Ghost and spent time with him people ask him all the time does that mean he went to heaven it really doesn't mean anything except his spirit became more enlarged with God that fleshly, flesh wise, he wasn't even aware of what was going on. He was just with the guys. And that's how he would say it I'm with the guys. And then began to perfect that. How do you do that? Well, when you're an obsessive compulsive personality, which means if you're going to make a cookie, you would make the world's largest cookie with more things in that cookie than anyone could ever imagine. Then, if you could go one time, what would you do? Wouldn't you go again? So when he told me that he went, one, the first time, I, I'm in it. he's in a, a meeting of mine, and I see him just basically fall asleep. I thought he just fell asleep, and here he left and we just went home to be with Jesus. Came back and told me some of the things he told me, freaked out. Well, I helped get him settled, you know, went home that night. Well, what do you think he did? Well, what all of us would have done is just glory that we had this experience and, and, and just gone run back as fast as we could to the realm of the natural or flesh to feel comfortable because it would freak us out. What did he do? He went back. So when I asked him what he did, he said, well, I went back. My first question was, you could go back? Because, see, we've all been taught that's something special that God allows you to do. Well, isn't that amazing? God allowed one of his sons to have a face-to-face with him and experience him, but the rest of us, (laughs) we're just not that lucky. Well, that sounds like a real nice dad, doesn't it? i got three daughters, but I only allow one to see me every once in a while. The rest of them, you're just on your own. The first thing God said to him was, welcome home. All my children are supposed to know me like this. In other words, you're supposed to know God in a very real way. He's supposed to be real to you. His presence is to be real as though someone were with you. And his voice is supposed to be as recognizable that you could actually hold a conversation with him. Look how quiet it got. Can you feel it? Can you see it? We're thinking, aren't we? But let me ask you a question. Why wouldn't that be the way it is? Doesn't the book of Genesis help us to understand what the real purpose of God making man was supposed to be all about in the first place? No, this is one of the things that always makes me so popular, especially with people of the word of God, like word of faith movements and stuff when I ask this question. When Adam and Eve had the breath of life breathed into them, and they came alive? Were they looking at a Bible, or were they looking at God? Huh? Excuse me, I didn't hear your answer. See, that always gets me asked back to places that are are word people, you know. Because it's the word, brother. I mean, even one of the word guys on TV said, if you haven't felt Jesus in a while, just take your Bible and hug it. That's Jesus. No, it's not. That's That's a book. That is a book. How did that feel? Did that book make you feel really good? Oh, that's nice. No, that's not Jesus. This is a love letter from God so that we can find him and have a relationship with him. So what did man have originally? We actually had the guy that wrote the book. Well, what did Jesus do? Jesus cleared the way, removed all of our sin so that we could go boldly into the presence of the guy that wrote the book so that we could experience his mercy, his grace in a time of need and fellowship with him. Come on, what does Jesus do? He stands at the door. Well, don't leave him at the door, folks. Let him come on in and be real. And the more real he is, the more real he'll become. Until you're walking with him and talking with him. Come on, remember that old song? I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And the joy I hear falling on my heap, the Son of God discloses. And He walks with me, and He talks with me, and He tells me I am His own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. I know that's a good old song, but it's got a great message to it. That's the purpose of why we're here to find God so if you haven't found God have you really even found your purpose now modern religion would make you feel like your purpose is to come to a building and to make sure that you bring your money that's why when it's stormy out we're having service bless God we're faith people no you just want to you just want you just want an offering well good night everybody that would about get it right there (laughs) Hey, man, let's, let's go to the Word. Second <laughs> like Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 says in the Message Bible, it says, Test yourselves to make sure you are solid in the faith. Don't drift along taking everything for granted. Give yourselves regular checkups. You need firsthand evidence, not mere hearsay, that Jesus Christ is in you. What does evidence look like that Jesus is in you? Answered prayers. Testimonies. Come on, if Jesus is in you, give me, an, give me an evidence that he's in you. An answer prayer. What would an answer prayer look like? My niece was healed of a migraine. Five times I had to pray for her last week over the phone. Five times in a row until it got done. That's evidence. Someone else give me an evidence. Has anybody's marriage here increased and become more beautiful since you've known Jesus? The love of God is working in you. Right there? Oh, I was thinking you were talking about your marriage. Okay. Yes? Yes? Praise the Lord. You know what we're talking about here. This is what it's saying. If we've got testimonies and evidence of God in our lives, it may be that you've been a really, you know, cantankerous type of individual, but since Jesus has come into your heart. Remember that old song? I'm bringing up all these Baptist songs, but what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. Remember that song? Anybody here? Well, we all actually believe there was a change that was supposed to happen. Well, you might have been a real cantankerous individual, real cranky. But since Jesus has come into your heart, you can care less about anything. You're happy as a lark. That's evidence. Amen. There should be evidence of God in our lives. This is what the scripture is saying. And it goes to say this. Test it out. If you fail the test, do something about it. That's just as simple as you can get, isn't it? What's he trying to tell us here? He's trying to say that you need to live each day under your own microscope of seeing whether or not you're progressing in your relationship with God. And if you're not progressing, it only can mean one thing. If your attention is on this side of the room, which represents the world of your flesh and the world of society, and that's more real than this side of the room, which represents your spirituality and your connection with God, then if this isn't very real, it only means, it's very simple, it means you're pretty well given most of your time and energy right here. And this isn't about buckling under and just really working it, baby. Work it. No, it's, that's not it. It's about the heart wanting something so badly that your emotions and your feelings are with Christ and the anointing of God, His grace, begins to work a work in you. You can't work for yourself. That's how we got saved. For by grace you're saved through faith. God did something for us through Christ that we would never have been able to do on our own. The law. We have the law. If you could have kept it perfectly, you would have been able to succeed. But you couldn't keep it perfectly. No one could. So Jesus came and kept it perfectly for us. And our union to Christ through our heart calling out to God and receiving the Lord brought a brand new individual on the inside of us. He annihilated the old sinner and we became a divine nature being in fellowship with God. Now if an individual comes to God without, without religion, they'll find God. God will show up in their room at night and they'll talk to God. But as soon as they get around religion, they'll lose all that. Now, I've watched that over the last four years. That's the number one testimony I have from multitudes of people. When I came to Jesus, I didn't know anything. I just asked Jesus into my heart one night. He came into my room and started talking to me. I've got journals full of the things that the Lord would share in my heart. But then, and I said, what, you went to a church? Well, yeah, people told me I should. I said, how long has it been since you've had Jesus speak to you? 25 years. See, this is my message to you. This isn't about conjugating together. Just to be together. This should be a place where the preacher doesn't even have to do the encouragement of finding God. Because someone says, Pastor, you wouldn't believe what happened this week. Pastor, you wouldn't believe what happened this week. Pastor, it's amazing what the Lord did for me this week oh my goodness, I mean, it's scaring me because their testimony was exactly like what the Lord did with me. And all of a sudden, there's this iron sharpening iron from all of us experiencing things. And I don't know about you, but I'll just share this honestly. The reason why I always talk to people that get healed and ask questions is because I learn from them and they encourage me about seeing things about God in a way that I don't see things about God. That's real church, not just coming to come but coming with testimony of how you're experiencing God. And if that's not what we know to be the kind of church that we've been coming to, then it's this type of teaching to help you connect with your heart, which will help you to be able to have your own testimonies. Yep. And there's nothing in the world. You can see another town. What's, what's a town close by Albemarle? Oberle? Oakborough. Well, what if Oakborough was receiving all kinds of needed rain in the midst of a drought and you're in Albemarle and you need it in Albemarle? You're happy for Oakboro. <laughs> but you know what? Hearing about Oakboro, Oakboro's rain for three weeks in a row pretty well can cause you to feel like I don't want to hear about Oakboro anymore. Because you want it here in Albemarle. In other words, here in another testimony ought to inspire you, but until you get your own, you're never going to be satisfied. I feel feel like I'm a DJ tonight. He's as close as the mention of his name. Come on, think about it. This isn't something that's difficult, folks. What I'm presenting to you, every single one of us right here, right now, even the attention that you're so... Uh, um, wonderfully giving me. It's an honor to receive your attention, the eyes that are on me. I'm sorry that you have to look up here. Hey, if I could do something better and have a, have a collage to look at and just talk from behind it, that'd be better. But the attention that you're giving me is the same type of stop looking here and look to Christ. It's the same way you make a connection with Jesus. Now in my day, excuse me for running all these rabbit trails, but in my day, if you had too much energy, you'd get kicked in the seat of the pants by your dad, and he'd tell you, get back out there and play another three or four games of kickball, and you'd come in just dragging, saying, Dad, can't wait to get to bed. We'll go ahead and take your, your bath and then get to bed, and you'd just sleep all night long. Today we call those kind of people ADHD, isn't that what it's called? Yeah. And we give them Drugs. Well, what we've done is we've created a culture of this schizophrenia. People that can't concentrate on anything longer than 10 seconds. Get all nervous. We've created a culture of that. It's in the church. People have no focus. And this has to change. Amen. Amen. Well, you've been really good to sit here and listen to this. So, let's go ahead and uh, and get you over here. On uh, let's take you over to Luke chapter five for a second. Oh my God, was that the introduction? Yeah, that's all it was, just introduction. <laughs> 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 uh, uh, some folks are so worried. What, 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 what time are we going to get out here tonight? Praise the Lord, before it turns 12 o'clock, I'm sure. <laughs> we'll give you enough to get you stirred up here. I've said a lot of things that I know make you think. But what, in, what I'm doing by making you think is to open up your heart and mind. Listen, if you didn't like it, and it's possible someone could literally be sitting there and cussing me out underneath your breath. But I'm looking at each one of you, and I don't see anybody in that frame of mind, which means what? You're doing really well to handle this kind of teaching, which means what? Your hearts are open enough to listen. And if your heart's open enough to listen and give me this type of attention, if you could just give God in the service for the next 15 minutes a fraction of the attention you've given me, do you really think that a cancer cell has a chance of living in your body? Do you really think that your shoulders are going to go out of here and you're going to move them and they're going to crack and pop and they're going to hurt right, like crazy and you can't lift anything? Or do you think you're going to walk out of here and have digestive problems tonight and wake up all pain in the stomach and can't eat certain things? No, no. That you're going to have problems in your feet and problems with your circulation? No. Back problems and feeling like I can't go to work tomorrow? Mind problems, I can't concentrate anymore? We make this much too difficult. God's only asking for a fraction of what you're giving me. I mean, people in the New Testament, think about it. In the day of Jesus, how many thousands of people got healed? Now, Let me ask you a question. Out of all those thousands that got healed and followed him around? Thousands. How many did he end up with that followed him in the upper room? That's not good. (laughs) You don't call that a successful campaign. How many did you end up with? 120. But you touched thousands. 100, 200,000 in three and a half years. With results so many that if the books of the world that were written at that time They couldn't contain all of the testimonies. And how many did he end up with that followed him? Now do you understand the percentages? The reason why Jesus said there's only a few that follow the path that is narrow, that make it to heaven, that the majority of people follow a path that leads to destruction that's wide? Well, if Jesus had those kind of results, and people actually turned from him, and he didn't take back their healings, then why should it be difficult for us to get a healing when we have the right intention in our heart? We're making this much too difficult. Because there's nothing like being healed yourself while you're talking to somebody that's sick and saying, I understand where you're at, but I can tell you this right now, in the next couple of seconds while I'm talking with you, (laughs) your body's going to feel something you hadn't felt before. And what it's going to feel is really good. Yeah. And you start sharing with them just your testimony. You mean I shouldn't have 15 scripture, healing scriptures memorized? No. Have them memorized for you. Yeah. Pat yourself on the back and feel like you know, you're, you're, the, you're the guru of healing scriptures if you want to. But what you need to give somebody else is a testimony. Testimony. The world's tired of hearing us preach to them. They're tired of us Bible thumpers just thumping them with the Bible and with the Scriptures. What they want to see is the evidence and the testimony of Jesus living in our life, which is undisputable. Yeah. Yeah. Amen? Amen? Well, I look right here in verse 17. It says, Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who come out of every town, Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Notice the power was present to heal them. How many people got healed in this instance? You can say it, you're right, one. Remember what I said earlier. took me a while to figure it out. There has to be a reason why this one got healed and everybody else didn't. So there must be something about his character, the way that he does life, that's conducive to what? His faith working. Because there were other people, obviously, that had sicknesses, or the power of the Lord wouldn't have been there to heal them. If the power of the Lord knew, if the Holy Spirit, which is the power of the Lord that knows all things, knew that there was only one that got healed or needed healing, it would have said the power of the Lord was there to heal that one man. But it said the power of the Lord was there to heal them. So God knew that them, meaning more than one, needed healing, and yet only one got it. So we go on a little bit, and it says, Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, (coughs) whom they sought, notice that word sought, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. What was this sought to bring in and lay before him? That was their intention. As clear as I can put it, you could say it like this. When his four buddies showed up at his house, and here he is paralyzed, they put some type of tarp underneath him, and they grabbed the four corners, and this is what they said. It's a one-way ticket, Jack. We'll get you there, but you walk back. How do you know that's the kind of commitment or consecration or conviction that they had? Well, you'll see it right here. It says, Then behold, the men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in, then they went home and said, Sorry, I guess we had to increase it to a round trip. Had to bring you home. No, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. When something's real to you, you don't just stop when something don't look right. Because you don't see what doesn't look right. You only see the opportunity of what will meet your intention. Now that's something we've lost. That's that old time grit that people used to have when things weren't necessarily tough and you had to learn how to just get in there and make it work. Today, nobody needs to make it work because there's too many options. We've got plan B, C, D, and F. I mean, if this doesn't work, then this will work. Or this will work. And all that does is it alleviates your ability to make a choice where there's only one way. Come on, the Bible doesn't say Jesus said, I am one of multiple ways to reach the Father. He said, I am the way, the truth. And the life. And no man will come to my Father except through me. What's he trying to say? You need to become very purposed in your life. Have an intention in your life that meets the goal. Don't waver back and forth between two opinions. There's only one opinion and it's the Lord. Now you understand how these type of thinkings work with my original statements and the reason why God isn't the one that invented medicine. Besides, if he was the one that invented medicine, he's done a really poor job. Because all you've got to do is listen to one of a thousand commercials in the matter of two hours of watching TV <coughs> to hear this guy come on. And the first 15 seconds of the 30-second commercial, he actually talks in a, in a speed that everybody can understand and hear. All about the beauty of this pill. Purple, red, blue, polka-dotted pill. That's going to help your life. In the last 15 seconds he turns into an auctioneer. Talks so fast. But what he's saying is you're going to die 15 different ways. (laughs) And that's the reason why the doctors don't just give you one pill. They give you 15 pills. Because each of the 14 is helping you to to live. So that the first pill doesn't kill you 15 different ways. (laughs) And then when they don't work. The doctors say something like this. Bless their hearts. They're doing the best that they can. But they'll say something like this. Well, Well we're going to try this now. That one that didn't work, now this, this antibiotic didn't work, we're going to try this. You're going to do what? We're going to try it. You're going to try it? So you don't know if it's going to work, do you? You're going to kill my immune system for another 30 days, trying another medicine. What if I dismissed the idea that I was sick, and just got quiet for a few moments and let the power of God in that life of Jesus Christ, which is in me, Jesus didn't say, I gave you a little bit of life and it might help you. He said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. To give you something that's beyond the measure of your need. If you get just a little bit quiet, you might run into the life of God. What do you think? What are the odds if you got quiet enough for a few minutes? You might run into this source of power that's beyond the measure of your need. And by tapping into just a little bit of it. Come on, think of that prayer. God, please, please, open her eyes just enough so she can believe just a little. Do you really think God's putting pressure on you to receive something that Jesus already gave you? that's no different than sitting in front of your meal and crying out to mama mama how come you don't have a meal she said it's right in front of you son pick up your fork and eat it boy you're pretty direct mama well i spent all kinds of time on the meal look at it it's right there well i guess i can see it mama still wondering whether or not i can eat it boy you get slapped when you talk like that (laughs) huh you can't get away with that kind of stuff at home with your mother Jesus already gave us this wonderful healing, all this wonderful blessing that comes in our salvation. God doesn't have to do anything to help you because you've already got it. But what we're doing is endeavoring to turn around your thinking so that you can realize how wonderful it is to receive, to walk in, to experience the very thing that he's given you. I mean, Jesus even went so far as to say we can get rid of a mountain, which is the speck of faith. Come on, ask yourself a question. A speck of dust that you can hardly see on your finger. The size of a, a what? Mustard. A mustard seed, which is just a small little speck. But it grows into one of a, a very large uh, bush. That's the size of a tree that even the birds come and roost in from a little speck. And what's he saying? That little speck of faith can remove a mountain. So maybe, if you think about it in another way, you could say it this way. A little speck is very disrespectful to the size of a mountain. You got mountains around here. If you go to the mountains and you see a little speck and you say, this little speck can remove that mountain. Yeah, right, let's see that. So maybe what Jesus is saying is, it's really not a mountain. The reason why it's just a speck of faith is because the mountain's only what you created. It's not as real as you think. That's good. Come on, has anybody here, prove my point, has anybody here ever been to the doctor and they said, it looks like you have such and such, come back for some more tests? and you came back for some more tests, and when you did, the doctor said, no, it didn't look, look like it at all. The first, you know, first x-rays looked really bad, but I don't know, things have just turned around. doesn't look like that's what you had. Anybody ever had a change of a diagnosis before? Sure? Number three kill in the world today. Wrong diagnosis, wrong medication. Yeah. Number three kill in the world today. What am I saying? Maybe not everything is what everything looks like. I try to tell people all the time. They say, you know, I went to the doctor and the doctor says there's three large masses in my breast that I've got breast cancer. So it's just gas. It shows up the same as a mass. It's just what? I said, it's just gas. Gas always has a way of working its way out. Don't worry about it. That's okay. You can laugh. I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm, I'm saying this ridiculously on purpose. It got definitely quiet there for a second. What are you trying to do? I'm trying to get into the head of an individual to let them see. Why are you putting all your energy in the idea that there's a couple masses there? Yeah. They haven't been there all your life. They just showed up. So if they just showed up, maybe they can just leave. That's right. Huh? Why do you think something just showed up It has to stay? That's my point about a wrong diagnosis. You go and it seems like it's this, but then you go the next day and it seems like it's that. Why would you put your focus on something that doesn't, can't even make up its mind? Even when somebody's got cancer in the last stage, you have to ask them, do you have good days? Oh, yeah, I still have a lot of good days. Okay, you got good days, and then you got bad days. So why are you worried about this thing called cancer when it can't even make up its mind? If it's going to kill you, just tell it, kill me. Kill me now, if you can. And it can't. Why? It needs you. It feeds off of your fear. It feeds off of you accepting it in order for it to kill you. If it could, just do it. If you've ever had the devil sit on your shoulder and say, I'm going to kill you. All you need to do to shut him up is say, well, do it if you can. (laughs) And if you could, why haven't you already done it? Because it all comes back to you. What you decide, how you see it. Now, my point of this discussion is the next part of this Verse. And it says, when they sought to find him, they couldn't bring him in because of the crowd. They went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. And this next part is what I want to get to. And when he saw their faith, what was their faith? It was what they sought to do. Which means what they sought to do was their intent. And this gets me back to my sermon here for the next couple of minutes here, and I mean just a few minutes, we'll, we'll pick up on these things tomorrow. But I want you to walk away from these meetings understanding what real conviction and what real faith looks like so you can emulate it. I did a, I did a, a, a radio show with BJ a, a few weeks ago. And I came in and he said, so what do you want to talk about? Because I can't explain to you, you just have to take my word for it. You could bring up any subject. And then out of his mouth for two hours would roll the most amazing wisdom concerning that subject. And it would all relate to the scriptures you know, and he wouldn't even be using one scripture. He's just that connected to God where stuff just rolls out of him. And remember, he sees the forest from the trees. So while I'm wanting to talk about trusting Jesus, Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Everybody feels so good. He looks at me and says, well, I mean, people would feel good. People would really like the show. I said, well, what? He goes, but what part of their life knows anything about trust? I said, well, I get that. He said, even in the best relationships, husbands and wives still question one another. Even in families, kids will question one another, question mom and dad. There's nothing about anybody's life that knows what real trust is. So how are they going to relate to you talking about trusting God in a measure that puts yourself in a position like A.W. Tozer said, real faith is where you put yourself in a position where you can't go back. He said pseudo-faith is where you have a way out just in case God fails you. So if people don't know how to relate to trust, when you talk about trusting God who they can't see, when they have really no ability to trust people that they do see, how are they going to put this together and be able to make progress? And so I just had to sit there and listen. I said, what do you you, you recommend? He said, well, we (coughs) we have to first begin to help them to see that their inability to trust one another has to change. And I said, how do they do that? And he says, we have to get them to be able to trust themselves. And so all of a sudden, the preacher again is silenced. And I sit there. I said, okay, share with me. And he just starts going down all these different avenues of how we don't trust ourselves. Think about it. If I said, started this phrase, you would be able to finish it. Words are cheap. Which means what? If words are cheap, it means you don't trust yourself. You can say something that you have no meaning to. So if you can't trust yourself, in other words, how you do life is how you do faith. If the way you do life is you constantly do what? Override your own convictions. Well, it can change this time. It doesn't really have to be. And, of course, we can just, and, you know, it's not going to be that bad. And, you know, it's just okay. And if that's how we've learned to do because everybody else in the group does this. And I know people that are way worse than me, so I feel a little bit better about myself, you know. I mean, really, I'm not the worst. I'm, you know, I'm not, I don't even make the ten, top ten worst. I'm and all of it is what? Compromise. It's all lukewarm. It's what Jesus said he's going to spew out of his mouth. So what do we got to do? We got to go back and begin to work on people to want to do what? To make choices and decisions that are absolute so that they can learn to respect themselves so that when they call upon the name of the Lord, something from their heart reaches out and grabs a hold of God. Otherwise, it's just the same thing over and over again. You kind of wonder whether you mean it or you don't, whether it works or it doesn't. you see this in this verse? They sought to bring him to Jesus. What did they do? Well, they gave up, you know. Uh, no, they tore the roof off. Which seems to indicate that if it means tearing off the roof of your way of doing life to reinvent yourself step by step, choice by choice, to begin to take what? A, a respect and pride in your own ability to make choices and decisions and to stick by it and be a person of your word and to make simple choices and decisions which allow God to begin to work in your life. You can reinvent yourself until when you say yes, it's a yes. And when you say no, it's a no. And when you pray a prayer, it's an answer. Now, it's quiet in here, but I'm assuming that you're thinking. Is anybody thinking here? Yeah. Okay. Thinking is good, but don't hurt yourself, okay? <laughs> I'm sorry. I just had to say that. Sometimes those gears, you know, get going. There's smoke coming out of the ears, and you just think, oh, God, don't let them hurt themselves. <laughs> but when you think like this, that's what opens your heart Well, good communication with your wife is not about, hey, Han, love you. That's nice when you're busy. But good communication is sitting down and saying, what's going on inside? What's happening? And you begin to open one another up. I mean, I text my wife right after the service said, if I've ever preached a sermon in my life, you couldn't, have tell, you couldn't have told it by the way I preached this morning. She goes, why? I said, it was terrible. I said, it's like I had no unction. So then she be, I opened up. She began to share some things. And I went back to the room with the intention of doing what? By golly, I am anointed. And I'm not having another service like that, whether you could tell or not. I felt like it was dry bones this morning. Like, Lord, if this is the best that we can do... Okay, I'm leaving Albemarle before the sun sets. And all of a sudden you come back with an intention. To do what? To rearrange the roof. And look at how the service is going right now. We're hitting things all over the place, people's lives, and yet we're still preaching a sermon where you can walk out of here and get something. That's the Holy Ghost. That's the unction. That's the anointing. You don't think it'd be easy to get somebody healed tonight? Surely it would. Because not only are your hearts already open, but there's a flow here. There's an anointing here. You can't ask me to repeat the things I've said tonight because I'm listening to myself saying the first time. That's how it ought to be when you're under an unction, when you're under an anointing. You don't know what you're saying. You're enjoying what's coming out. Sometimes I'm cringing on the inside just as much as you are. Scare myself. Ow! I looked up the word intent. Why'd you look it up? Because that scripture we left you with today. If you don't mind putting that up, Hebrews chapter 4, and verse 12. We almost feel like we haven't gotten anywhere, but we have. Yeah. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two edged sword, piercing in the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. This right here is who Jesus was and is. When he walked on the earth, the reason why he was successful is because he was connected to his Father and he was able to do what? To separate what is of the Spirit, what is of the flesh, what is of the soul. To separate himself from the bone and joint and marrow, which is the flesh. And he was constantly in touch with what? A discernment of the thoughts and intents of his heart. He never allowed the intents or the thoughts of his heart to sway from his Father's will. I don't do anything unless I see my Father do it. I don't speak anything unless I hear my Father speak. I didn't come to do my own will, which means He had a will. He had a human will. We saw that when He was getting ready to die on the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane. I don't want to do this, but not my will. Thy will be done. And He sweat as it were great drops of blood, which means there was such anguish of soul in His flesh that His body reacted where His sweat turned to blood. But yet He still committed Himself to what? as we spoke this morning, unto all righteousness. He stepped across the line when John baptized him, and he said, from this moment on, it is only the rightness of God that I make choices about. And instantly, the power came on him and God's voice came. I'm telling you, there's something about this absoluteness stuff that may be hard on our flesh because we haven't lived very absolute in our life. If you think about it, You just listen to people's conversation on a regular basis. You can hear somebody say something that gets right to the heart and right to the point, and anybody will say something like this, oh, absolutely. Some people even get really into it and say, oh, absolutely. (laughs) But if you were to follow them around for a 24-hour period of of time in in their life, just one solid day, you'd find that there's probably not much or anything at all that represents absolute way of living. Everything's subject to change. The rules can all be broken. It doesn't really matter. It's okay. And that way of seeing life doesn't work with the anointing. So these are the kind of choices that we bring you. Amen. I'll just look at Job for one minute. You don't have to turn there and then we'll stop because we'll come back and we're going we're gonna to do a bunch more of this. And getting over into some of the things that I have and the stories out of the scriptures that we have, they're really going to bless you. And before I give you this, Job, I'll, I'll give you something that happened early on in my relationship, friendship with BJ because he's very absolute. And when he first got saved, you know, of course, you know, he's a real rough cowboy. He's a whole lot. I mean, you can see his personality is becoming... Not numb to people, but he so enjoys the Lord, God, that he's not moved and motivated too much by people anymore. So what you do is what you do because it's what you do. Where before he just let you have it. Tell you. You know, you're all blankety-blanked and this, that's the other, you know. Now it's just, that's what you want to choose, that's what you want to choose. Don't bother me, it's not my life, it's yours. Very interesting what happens when you lose your care. It's the most wonderful thing in the world. I'm telling you, this last day the Bible says men's hearts will fail them for fear. If you could bottle up the peace of God and the lack of care, you could be a gazillionaire overnight. Sell it on the internet. It's amazing. It would be instantaneously uh, the most famous product bought. To have peace of mind and to not care. The more real God becomes, the less you care about anything. Because the less you reel that anything really matters. Some of us are a little bit older. Think back to your 11th year high school examination of history, social studies. Well, I can't even remember it. Exactly. But at the time, it was such a big deal that you crammed and you studied. And, oh, I got to get such a a good grade. And now, guess what? You don't even remember that you even took the test. So how important was it really? It doesn't mean that you don't study, that you don't do good. My point is that we make so many things that don't really matter to your spiritual experience with God become so ever-living important that you drown out the very thing that is important and it is whether or not you're connected. God's real. You're hearing his voice and you're getting your prayers answered. Thank you for all your enthusiasm. I appreciate that very much. Amen. <laughs> I'll go on to tell you, here I am at the golf course, and BJ had said, because I, I was, during that first year, I'd go over three, four times a week, and we'd just talk for two, three, four hours at a time. And um, I left him a message that said, anytime tomorrow, be good. So he calls back and says, well, come on over at 6 o'clock. And I said, 6? Well, I can't come at 6. I mean, I'm going to have to talk to Aaron about it. That's the time we eat. And then he just popped up and said, oh, you got to ask your wife how to do... You ask your wife all, whether or not you can make a choice? And then that really made me mad, and I just hung up. <laughs> so then all of a sudden, it clicked, and I got it. And I called him back, and I said, okay, so here's the deal. I said, anytime tomorrow. He said, okay, if you say anytime tomorrow, how am I supposed to read your brain? It means anytime tomorrow except 6 o'clock. Anytime tomorrow means any time tomorrow. I said, so the problem that I'm having and that we're having is I don't accurately believe in my own words. He said, there you go. Now you're starting to get it. And I said, and this is why prayers wouldn't work, right? He goes, well, why would they work? If you don't believe in your own words, how could you believe in his words? So then I read this one little thing here. It says, Moreover, Job continued his discourse and said, Job, as God lives who has taken away my justice and the Almighty who has made my soul bitter, as long as my breath is in me and the breath of God in my nostrils, my lips will not speak wickedness nor my tongue utter deceit. Far be it from me that I should say, you are right till I die, talking to one of his friends. It's good to not have friends like Job had friends. (laughs) I will not put away my integrity from me. My righteousness I hold fast, and I will not let it go. My heart shall not reproach me as long as I live. Now that works really well with God. Even though Job and his thinking was that God did these things to him, and we know God didn't do it, the devil did it. His theology wasn't even right. But the, the source of his heart and how he saw things was accurate. And that's the reason why he could be restored to twice as much as what he had before. Amen. Is anybody getting anything from tonight? We're going to come back here tomorrow and pick up on some of these things. It's going to be really good. The more illustrations that I give you, both mine and plus from Scripture, the better the picture can be before you, of what it really looks like, and then you can begin to do what—just simply make choices. Oh, brother, I seem to make so many wrong choices. That's why all sins are forgiven. God knew you're going to be making a lot of a lot of bad choices. A bad choice is sin, right? so he forgave them all well why would he do that it takes away the wedge that we would continue to build in our lives that would keep us from his presence it's in his presence that there's fullness of joy not out of the garden looking back in to how wonderful it was but when you're in the garden experiencing walking with him and talking with him and enjoying fellowship, that's where the joy is and that's where the change comes. The only change Adam and Eve had when they got out of the garden was a negative change and it went really fast like only three chapters and they're already getting like expelled off the face of the earth except for Noah and his family. That's serious, right? What does that tell you? Life lived without being in the proximity of his presence and in the wonderful fellowship of God. You're pretty much going to be on your own, and you probably won't be going toward him. You'll be going away from him. The current of the world is faster now than it was 2,000 years ago. Why? Because there's more distractions. So the current is stronger. So if you don't feel like you're actually going against a current in order to follow God, what does it say that you're probably doing what? Going with it. Is everybody okay? Do you feel wounded? Huh? Well, one loves it, but I'm not sure everybody else does. Any comments real quick? Come on, this is a smaller gathering. We can hear one another. Any comments? Is it helping? Mm -hmm. I was in Toronto, and I do this a lot. People come up and they'll say, and of course you may not want to come up and say anything to me because if you know I do this, you might not (laughs) want me to do this. But people will come up, and that's okay if you want to ignore me. But people come up and they say things like, man, that was really good. I really loved that tonight. And I'll ask them questions. Well, what did you love about it? What was good? What did it mean to you? What did it say to you? And this is what I got in Toronto. Multiple individuals said this. I don't know. All I know is it just went right to my spirit. It's like my spirit was immediately lifted up and fed. In other words, it bypassed the head. It wasn't solical. It went right to my heart. And I said, well, isn't that good? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm seeing things for the first time that I hadn't seen before, which means what? Open, which means what? Power. Right? Come on, when it's raining and you're on the wrong weekend to have your camping and you got a little boy. I remember it. The tent was sagging full of water and we were dry inside. And I said, Daddy, look at the tent. And I reached up and he grabbed my hand like this and he said, Don't touch the tent. Because it wouldn't have been dry anymore. The moment you touch it, you do what? You allow all that water to come in. I don't know the science behind it, but just know that it happens and don't try it. (laughs) When you hear something that goes to your heart, it's like touching the tent. God's glory is all over us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I mean, he can't do any more than he's done to trip over himself to satisfy every longing of your soul. It's another song. I'm not going to sing it. (laughs) But the moment your heart opens up, it's like touching the tent, and all of a sudden, all that goodness starts to come. There's some of you in the service right now, you need to check your symptoms. What's the possibility that they're already gone? Huh? Is there anybody that had symptoms when you came into this room, and you haven't checked yet to see if they're disappeared? Anybody? I mean, this is awesome. I don't want you to have symptoms. (laughs) But has anybody had, had certain pains or symptoms or Certain things you could or couldn't do. Anybody? Because this is wonderful. If you're all healed, you don't go very, very many places and find that. So what you've been hearing has been, has been working. Praise the Lord. If it's keeping you healthy. I mean, most of the churches that believe in healing nowadays, when you have a healing line, uh, about nine tenths of the people come down to the front. Which means what? And obviously, there's no connection anywhere. And then we rejoice about. Three that got healed, but 300 were prayed for. What happened to 297? Which, if you do your math, the percentage is really, really bad. In other words, the percentage on a huge scale is a failure, not success because three got healed. If the church, quote-unquote, what we call the church, would look at things through these binoculars, through these glasses, then they would have to ask themselves the bigger questions. And if you could get ministers like your pastor here that's willing to ask the bigger questions, you'd start having revival all over the country. If ministers would take the pulpit and just say, Folks, we've got... 800 people in this church, and it would be successful because of the numbers. But I've been doing polls for the last year, and you know it because so many of you, I've at least polled over 300 of you with questions and survey to see how you're doing. And we are 98% of failure with the 300 that I've polled. We're not making success. Spiritually, you're not advancing, but you love coming to the church. Do you see something wrong with that, people? I want to repent to you that I'm changing my direction. And if you'd like to go with me, we're going to find God. If this offends you because you don't want things to change, then it's okay if you leave. And if we have to go bankrupt because so many people leave, then it's okay if we do that because we can meet out on a little pasture and put up a little tent if we have to. But we're going to find God. Now, if a a minister would do that the next Sunday there would be people standing in line waiting for seats. Because what people hunger for is what's real. We're done with all this hocus pocus garbage. With people talking about their airplanes and people talking about their dog houses for $21,000 that it costs them. People talking about their watches and people still relating things like, my faith got me this car. Who in the world cares about your car? Who cares about your car? I was a four-year-old four little boy. My dad brought home a brand-new, beautiful, blue Pontiac Grand Prix. So proud of it. He went in to get my mom and bring her out. And us boys were out there playing, and there was a little bully on the street. and He dared me to take stones and go up one side and down the other and scratch that car. And I'd always take a dare. And I was right in the middle of scratching that car when Dad came out, his brand-new car. My dad's a big old fella, you know, big old arms, big legs. He held me up with this hand like this, and he hit me so hard, my body flailed in the wind and came down, and bam, he cracked me again. My mom saved my life. I've got three welts on my back to this day from that (laughs) whipping. I lost my train of thought of why I told you that story. Hmm? Yeah, who cares about a car? He got over it. He got over it. <laughs> After he beat the living out of time, he got over it. I cared about the car. He didn't. <laughs> Couldn't walk for a... But that's what people equate Christianity with. It's terrible. We've got to get out of this, this zoo that people are in. Get back to God. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Why don't you lift your hands and worship him for a second. Father, we thank you tonight that your presence is here. That we are, wow, thank you, Lord. Just to say the word that we are connected, you can feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. That People with their hands lifted up. The Spirit of God is, in one sense you could say, aching to touch and to bring great, wonderful truth to each person's heart. Now, Lord, like your Scripture says over in Second Chronicles, the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro to find the loyal heart. That's the heart we've been talking about tonight. So you would show yourself strong on their behalf. Right now we thank You, Lord, You show Yourself strong in the families of these people that are represented here. Sisters and brothers and aunts and uncles, moms and dads, in the families. Touch these families of the people represented with their hands up. Father, I thank You right now. Show Yourself strong in their bodies. Every ache, every pain doesn't need to be there. And in Jesus' wonderful name, we thank You, Lord God, that it has no purpose and no right to be there. So we thank you, Father God, right now in your wonderful name that that presence touches them and they're not the same. And Lord, cause our minds to be so saturated with the thoughts and the words that were spoken tonight that we won't be able to sleep without thinking about this wonderful God who loves us so much that he's put up with us this long and he's just waiting for us to turn toward him with uplifted hearts and hands. So that he can touch us, speak to us, and show us how real he is. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 If you have a need after the service is over, my goodness, come on up and be glad to pray with you. I know after the service we prayed for a dear lady right over there. And and uh, within just a couple of seconds, the power got went right into your body. Amen. I mean, you don't have to be in this big hoopla of a meeting. And yet I've been in meetings where we prayed for Oh, my goodness, Three and 4,000 people. You'd have 10,000 people at a camp meeting. Sometimes Brother Hagin turned to me and said, go lay hands on them all. And you'd be running down there, you know. And, of course, I'd, I'd, I'd sometimes go real fast because I used, you know, I'd always have to catch for him. And then I'd be laughing my head off, running real fast, watching the other guys try to catch for me. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, and so, but we'd, we'd pray for, you know, we'd pray for three, 4,000 people. And, I mean, after the first 1,000, you think you can't stand any longer. The anointing of God surging through you, the power of God going into people, and you got another two thousand people to pray for. Right. Let alone when Brother Hagin would pray for three or four thousand people at a time, and we had to catch every one of them. That's where you start wanting to say to people, "You need to turn the plate plate down a little bit." You know, hello. I mean, I mean, at least before a healing meeting, give me a couple weeks fasting. You know what I'm saying? Because it gets hard to catch everybody. Anything else? Anybody else? Thought or comment? Well, praise the Lord. Welcome. I've bled so that you guys could have some of this. I say that about my my radio friend, BJ. BJ. I asked him a question one time. So what do you think about me? Am I, am I on the right path? Am I, am I doing right? I shouldn't have asked him that question. <laughs> You're so blank and blank messed up, you can't even see straight. So my God, how would you let someone that just got saved, a rancher, talk to you? You're a minister and you go all over the country. See, that's the garbage and the reason why people can't go further because they think they're somebody. I'm so hungry to love Jesus, I was willing to let a rancher look me in the face and cuss me down one side and down the other and let me know I'm so glad I'm not you. Well, why? Well, because when I came to Jesus, I had a blank slate, he said, but you're still erasing yours. And you put up with that? I say, bring it on. Give me more. Why? Because I want this accountability. I want this responsibility. I recognize there's some things missing and that the things that I do experience should be all the time, not just when I flip a switch on and then turn it off all the time, living with Jesus, enjoying His presence. Amen. Might as well get used to it. You're going to be up there for a long time. (laughs) Pastor, come on. Help me out.
0: Well... If I blankety blank you, can I be your friend? <laughs> I was just—I mean—is that how it works? <laughs> if it entertains you, makes you laugh, then I can do it. Okay, that's good. Just thought I'd ask. <laughs> well, we have—how um, many people have gotten fed tonight? Yeah, amen. Tomorrow night, it's going to be just as good. Next night's going to be just as good, each one getting better the same way it happened last time and just got more and more powerful, more and more expectation grew, and what uh, we saw was more and more connections became with God became real for individuals, and um, that's what we're after. That's what I'm after as a pastor is I don't want you to look at me and say, well, I'll just receive it through Pastor Brian. No, I want you to receive it through God for yourself. Yeah. That's, that's what you need. If you don't have that, I'm not doing my job. Yeah. Right? Now, I'd like for you to turn uh, to Philippians 4.19. And I want to give a disclaimer because what you're, you know, a lot of times you'll go into services and uh, they, they really will do an emotional draw for your money. Right? And uh, the Lord says, do not give under compulsion. In other words, don't give under force and don't give under me pushing your emotional buttons so that you will give something. That's not how we're to give. We're to give because we love God. That's why we're supposed to give, because we love God. And he said all night that we're gonna do faith and we're gonna do love, we're gonna do our connection with God based on how we do life. And so the question is, if we're going to do things right and godly, then we need to see how God does things. And a lot of people like this verse a whole lot, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And as we read this, you're going to have the Holy Spirit start ministering to you. I don't want you to give because uh, I'm expecting a certain amount out of you and we're expecting to give a certain amount to Brother Jim. We're not. Here's what I want you to do. You have a connection with God that's available to you right now. And right now, he says, tonight, I want you to give a certain amount. And Some of you, that might be a lot. Some of you, it might be a very little. All I want you to do is hear from God, and whatever he says, do that because you trust him. But this, how do we do life, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches, not your riches, his riches, In glory in Christ Jesus. A great verse. Everybody, you know, they quote it all the time. But it's connected to some things. And there's some ways of God right here. And let's back up just uh, to verse 10. And it says this. This is Paul talking to that Philippian church. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from wool, nor I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. In other words, what was happening was they had started to give to him. They gave him an offering. They didn't have an opportunity before, but now they had the person of God that was with them they had opportunity to give all right And so then they said, he says, verse 12, I know how to get along with humble means and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is the same heart and attitude that Brother Jim's brought here because up until this point tonight, not one time has he said, anything to us about money. Nothing. We haven't even discussed an offering. Like, what do you want? All I've asked him is, do you want to take up an offering yourself or you want me to do it? You want to do it at the beginning or the end? Other than that, he never mentioned anything about that. In other words, I don't care about that. I'm coming to serve. And no matter what comes out, whether, uh, let's say they give a great offering or, or a bad offering, you know, no matter what it does, I'm coming to serve. And I know how to live and be blessed in God. I know how to do all things through him. That's the heart that he's brought to these meetings. Verse 14, Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in, my affliction. in other words, and, and why was it an affliction? You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs so in other words there wasn't anybody that was blessing but he said this while I've been in the middle of this situation where nobody was giving he said and listen to the heart of God through the Holy Spirit through Paul when he said when you shared with me you did well you did well it was the right thing you did well not that I seek, verse 17, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. So in other words, the, the man of God in this situation was saying, you know, whether you give to me or not, the Lord's going to bless me. I'm, I'm looking at you and saying, I really want your account to prosper. That's right. And that's what this giving is about, and I, and I appreciate it, because I... In verse 18, but I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply uh, supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant, and uh, and even what they sent, the offering that they took up, that they did well in giving. He called it this, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And then he says, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's where that verse was used when people were connected with God and out of a love for God said, there's no way that I'm gonna let somebody who's ministering go without. Matter of fact, let us even give more. Let us give enough that it'll cover, even if other people didn't do it. Let us bring an abundance. And they had brought an abundance. His testimony was that he had an abundance. So here's what my heart is. I don't want to be the church that that Brother Jim looks back and says, you know, you knew that no other church, you know, that boomerang didn't give us what, you know, very much. I want to be the church that he says, and my God shall supply all of boomerang's needs because of the things that you're doing. Because you're living life the way that God wants us to live life. So I would just ask you right now, let's just bow our heads. You, you should have been given a love offering an envelope, and you can just, when you're done with it, you can drop it in the box going out the door over there. But right now, you have a connection with God. The Lord knows what you can and can't do. He knows what's right for you tonight and what's wrong. I personally don't care how much that amount is. God has a number for you that's right, and love seeks to be obedient to whatever he says. So the question is, right now, just ask the Lord, Lord, what would you have me give tonight? Some of you may be shocked by the high amount. Some of you may be shocked by the low amount. The question is, are you obedient with the amount that he's given? So, Lord, right now, I just ask that you would just touch the hearts of each person, and then you would strengthen them with all might to make the choice to be obedient and step right into the love so that their account can prosper in every way and that we do things your way, Lord, in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen amen so you just fill that out and uh, throw it in that box and we are just so happy that you're here tonight we praise God for you, and we praise God for what he's doing inside of you, and we look forward to more that he has for us coming through you, Brother Jim. It's going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. If you have any prayer needs one want to talk to Brother Jim, he'll be up here. Uh, he's got stuff over there on the table that you can get. Actually, you know what? Where's Barrett, I need for you to somebody texted me and told me get me two of the books the leather book bound book on john and the until i come i need one of each of those please so there's some stuff over there and uh y'all just have a great night if you need anything let us know and we look forward to seeing you tomorrow too and thank you so much for being here good night